Hi, I'm Chimzi. And I'm Hazel. I'm Malawian. I'm Scottish. And together in partnership, we are hosting the People to People podcast. And in Chichewa, it's Antukwa Antu. And in Tumbuka, it's Wantukwa Wantu. We are exploring the unique partnership between Scotland and Malawi by having people-to-people conversations. We're having conversations with as many people as possible in Scotland and Malawi to really dig deep into what partnership means. And to find out how people connect with people. And in this episode, we are talking about privilege. I think the process of becoming comfortable and open to acknowledging, critiquing and accepting your own privilege is really important. It's not something that is going to be done in a day. It takes time and it's a really hard process, but I think it's one that is necessary. Thinking of privilege and challenging it is really important, especially maybe in this case where there may be an imbalance of power. Yeah, absolutely. I like how you put that. I'll use myself as an example. I have a lot of privileges. I grew up in a great home. I went to a private boarding school in Malawi. I had access, you know, I had access to three meals. I went on holidays with my family. And now I live in the West, which also comes with its own privileges. However, this is also not to ignore that my gender, my race, which at times does put me at a disadvantage, but I think overall it doesn't take away from the many unearned benefits that I was handed. I have been trying to get my head around this idea of privilege and here is where I've got to. Right, firstly, I'm trying to learn to distinguish between what's human rights and what's privileges. So like education, water, food, healthcare, they're human rights. Everyone should have them. Sadly, many people still don't. But privileges are things that only a small group of people have, like the opportunity for international travel or owning a car or like a games console. And like having that perspective is actually quite difficult for people because you need to consider past like what your neighbors have into the lives of what someone in completely different country and circumstance might have. And like that's what these conversations are really important part of. But secondly, this conversation is really about the fact that the systems that we were born into favor some people and not others. So some people are advantaged over others because of where they were born, the kind of body that they were born into, their family circumstances and so on. And right now at this point in history, it feels like there's a real push towards understanding these injustices and reimagining these systems into something fairer. How did I do? You did, did great. I get that right? Yes, you did. You're very expressionate. Yeah. And so today we're going to hear stories about people who are realizing their privilege and about situations where there is inequality that needs to be challenged. In this episode, we're going to hear from Joshua, Cameron, Fraser and James from Dumblin Boys Brigade, who have all been to Malawi to volunteer building schools as part of an ongoing partnership. Here's Joshua. Four or five miles, just tomatoes either side of the road and women carrying gallons and gallons of water we just couldn't believe it like I'd seen photos of women carrying stuff on their head but the amount was crazy and the balancing was crazy as well the stuff hanging off the side and it's still staying yeah it was crazy that's something I remember I love chatting to the chaps from Dunblane and they were really open with us about some of the things that they found hard as well when we were eating lunch at the school and the kids watching us eat and knowing that we couldn't give them any food and we're going to hear from Edinburgh-based Malawian musician Davy Luhanga about how important language is. 
ministers struggling to speak in the parliament, struggling to to get to the point in a clear way that people can understand because they're using English. They're forcing themselves into English. But if you let them speak in their language, you find out to explain things better that everyone can understand. We also have a quick chat about it with Malawian comedian Deliso Chaponda. If I talk about white privilege, for example, someone white who grew up in a poor situation would be like, hey, your dad was a diplomat. I was in a trailer. How am I privileged? I was wondering, do you think it's too general just to talk about privilege, Chimsy? I mean, should we specifically talk about white privilege and recognize that there's lots of different types of privilege, like able-bodied privilege and gender privilege and cis privilege and many more? Well, I think you've got to start somewhere. And it's also important to note that many types of privilege exist. In other words, people can be privileged based on their racial or ethnic groups, your socioeconomic status, your sexual orientation, gender identity or disability status. And we can't adequately address all these types of privilege in this episode. Yeah, we can't cover everything, but we can try and get stuck in. And do you know who wasn't afraid to get stuck in, Jimsy? Go on. Muti Chlema. I'm going to let him introduce himself. I'm actually a product of Scottish investment. I often tell people that. I managed to get through college partly because of a scholarship from Scotland, from the University of Strathclyde. I've done projects with the Scottish government back when it was Scottish executive. My organization is funded partly by Scotland. My master's degree I did in Harriet Watt University, got a scholarship to study in Scotland. So Scotland has been a significant part of my life. So I'm actually a product of Scottish investment. So uh, this is what you get, Scottish government, for investing in me. Whenever I've been to Scotland or I meet Scottish people, I always feel like I'm meeting a white version of a Malawian. There's a familiarity there. Uh, I, I, I know privilege is used as a bad word. There's certain, I think the problem I have with the way it's used, it's used as if it's a bad thing. It's only a bad thing if you use it in in a way that harms other people, or you use it to take advantage of systems and opportunities. That's when it's wrong. But privilege is a, is a wonderful thing. I want to be privileged. I'm sorry, I do. Because there are certain things I can do when I'm privileged. Don't be ashamed of privilege if you've earned it, honestly. If, you've, if you know you've earned it in derogatory ways, then fine, you have every right to be guilty. But that's the thing, Muti, I haven't earned my privilege and I haven't even appreciated it. I'm born into a system that favours people of my skin colour and means I'm more likely to get a job or pass through airports easily and everything else. And that's a direct result of historical oppression. And that's where this guilty feeling comes from. I don't think Scotland should be guilty for the situation where I was in. You're only helping. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with being helped. Malawi has to work on it, get its act together. And that, that to me is the important thing. If you, Hazel, if you came to Malawi, you would experience white privilege, real white privilege. And the white privilege here is you will pay three times for an item that a Malawian will pay. <laughs> that is your white privilege. Uh, uh, you will be served first. People will always give you the benefit of the doubt. That is the white privilege you have here, okay? And I have friends who are white who they recognize that and they push back on it. They say, uh-uh, you're overcharging me. I know you charge, you know, drama market, right? And that's okay. <laughs> or, or like, for example, if they recognize that someone is giving them the benefit of the doubt, 
um, because they're white, they push back and they say, oh, no, excuse me, I'm with him, you know, like with the, with the black person that I'm with. So, and the problem I have is when I'm, I'm trying to be delicate here because I know it's a very sensitive thing I'm going to say. When sometimes black people guilt trip white people by using white privilege as a weapon. So white privilege becomes weaponized against white people to the point that white people are silent. And if white people say nothing, that's considered violence. If white people choose to take an action on something, uh, what's, what are they called? White saviors. So it seems you're stuck. I like to say you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and a meteor is coming right at you to run you in the face. And I know some people disagree with me on this. I'm going to say it anyway. If a white person uses white privilege against white people to shut them up, I'm sorry, that's racist. I don't care what your skin color is. Or if you have a certain assumption about someone or you treat someone in a certain way because of the color of their skin, doesn't matter who they are, you're being racist. I was racist against Asians, Indian Asians. The, the thing is, as Malawis, we don't look at it as racism because Asians have money. They have power. So therefore, we don't see it as racism. It's accepted racism. It's, we don't even challenge it. We don't even notice it. I noticed it when one of my good friends that I've known for years, who I hadn't seen for 10 years, when I met him, his name was Tariq, I felt very uneasy around him. It was, it was, it, it was, I, I felt it. I felt very uneasy and I was disgusted by him. And that was a strange thing. This was someone 10 years ago when I, was, I went to a private school. And at this private school, there were Asians, um, white people, and black people as well. So I mixed around with that. But after that, after that private school, I went to a government secondary school. And then I went to a government university uh, where it was only black people. And what I didn't know was that I was being marinated in latent racism. It's okay to say bad things about the Asians. It is fine because they take all our money. <laughs> so, But here's a friend who I grew up with and I used to play with. All of a sudden, I'm disgusted by him. That scared me. And I was like, okay. And I had to admit, I was a latent racist. Fine. Mm. People play around with the definition, but I'm, like, I'm sorry. I judged him. I recognized why I judged him. It was because of the color of his skin. I was a racist. That's a hard thing to say. Because when we look at black people, we've been oppressed in many ways. We have been. I mean, I'm not denying that. But that, does, that is not a justification for us to do the same thing. <laughs> so we perpetuate the cycle of oppression again and again and again because of it. Someone who has been really good at negotiating this tricky territory is Malawian comedian and writer Nalisa Chaponda, who you might remember from an earlier episode on People and the Past. And if you haven't heard that one, then do go back and have a listen once you've finished this episode, because it does give some really important historical context to the discussion that we're having. Absolutely. And here is what Dalisa Japonda has to say about privilege. The word itself has now become mired in a certain kind of discourse that it's almost misleading. And you almost get closer to the truth by using synonyms, right? Like if you just say, I'm lucky, you know, what I mean, I have been blessed in my life because I have been able to get a great education I've been able to, uh, you know, have a, a family which supported me and allowed me to do bizarre things, which have let me become a comedian. 
I, I am talking about privilege, but I'm talking about it in a way which puts nobody on the defensive, right? And you can talk about it in these terms. But I think because it's being used so much in political terms, it actually now becomes an aggressive thing sometimes. If I talk about white privilege, for example, someone white who grew up in a poor situation would be like, hey, your dad was a diplomat. I was in a trailer. How am I privileged? And I actually think a lot of these terms are more useful when you're looking at society, right, as a whole, as opposed to when you're looking at individual. And unless you are, you know, on the board of uh, education and you're trying to redress systemic imbalances, I often, I, I actually avoid terms like that because I get closer to the truth by just saying, hey, I've been lucky and, or, and have you been lucky? And they'll say it. This is my friend Hazel. And here's my pal Chimsy. And you're listening to the People to People podcast. Delving deep into the unique partnership between Scotland and Malawi. This episode is all about privilege. Next up, we're going to hear from Joshua, Fraser, James and Cameron, who have all visited Malawi with the Boys Brigade, who have a partnership project in Lukubula. You're obviously at a point where you're making decisions about your future and studies and things like that. Do you think it's had an effect? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think there's quite a big narrative that goes around that to get as much money as you can, you'll be happy. But when we went over, we saw the happiest people we'd ever seen in our lives with absolutely nothing. And yeah, that, that was something that blew us away. We couldn't believe how happy people were. Many different religions and, and faiths are followed in Malawi and are really respectful and inclusive way and, and like how much of a model it is for you know for for us or any country to aspire to and from the first trip that I went on I always remember um vividly uh like the village chiefs in Lakubala they had like a slow clap thing that they would do and it was obviously a sign of respect or something where they would do I think it was eight claps as people came as they came in to whatever the event was that we were at and then being introduced to them and then being told why each chief had his or her position in the group, as it were. And it was a balance of the religions that were represented in the community and, and men and women that I just thought it captured in a nutshell about how much we can actually learn from, from Malawi. You can really hear how much of an impression the trip has made on them. Uh, it must have been about four or five miles, just tomatoes either side of the road and women carrying gallons and gallons of water we just couldn't believe it like i'd seen photos of women carrying stuff on their head but the amount was crazy and the balancing was crazy as well the stuff hanging off the side and it's still staying yeah it was crazy that's something i remember the bikes um just carrying you know stacks and stacks of wood furniture sometimes or we just thought it was fascinating the bike taxi idea um, and people sitting <laughs> side saddle on the little the, the seat over the back wheel guess kids you would give people a backy as we used to say and in Scotland, but they would sit on the seat and you would stand on the pedals. It was a almost like a, a micro business in the sense that probably can't charge people that much to, you know, have a, a taxi ride. But clearly, on the road that we would go from Lukabula, if we had to go and you know go to a, a bigger shop, you would see people and you'd pass them on the way to the shop, and then you'd pass them in the van on the way back as well. And it was clearly a very long bike taxi journey they were making. And I just thought it was really. But, you know, the example of ingenuity that. Yeah. Um, and they were really open with us about the ongoing soul searching they do as the project changes, always thinking about how they could do better. 
you know, we wanted to do a little bit more work where we got the the guys and girls who are the, the bursars over there and who've got that strong sort of personal link as well. They they were helping us with doing painting and building and whatnot at this time. And and we definitely want to do more of that next time because it still had a still had a little bit too much of a feeling of, you know, the white guys turn up and um work for 10 days and then disappear again and and but but we were comfortable in the fact we know it's part of a an ongoing sustainable partnership it wasn't a volunteerism job where you just turn up and make a mess somebody else has to clear it up and you know you feel good about yourself and stick it on instagram it's never it's never been like that i don't know if i've ever asked joshua about this but when we went to mary's meals and we're and you guys were helping to dish it out how did you feel about doing that because that was always the bit that made me the least comfortable when we were there it felt a bit photo opportunity type yeah i'd not... probably say it was the one thing that we felt that probably didn't really do anything sustainable at all obviously building the classroom is something that's going to stay beyond us but um the mary's meal thing i mean it was obviously i think it was very important to see and maybe take part in but yeah i don't know if we could do something more to help with that hmm. So what happens at Mary's Meals? It's basically in the morning, um, the kids go and they, they get their one meal of the, of the day, sort of a porridge sort of thing, and we just helped hand it out. It's a, it's a crazy sight, honestly. It's um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids lining up, and they all give a stick in for the fire so they can get their porridge, and some of them are scooping it out with their hands, with their wee bowls and stuff, so yeah. And, and having done it in... In 2016, we, we, when we were we visited it at a different school, still in the same community, it, it was a complete contrast because I think when you see like the publicity material for Mary's Meals and, and you know similar charities, it usually does have hundreds of smiling kids lining up and being very very grateful to get their bowl of porridge and whatnot. The first time we went, well, to us it was really early in the morning. It was about half six. The weather was pretty miserable. It was like drich. Scottish weather and not many kids had turned up because it was the end of term at school it was a, it, there was a public holiday the next day I think and it it had a very kind of melancholy feel about it it was much more like this is really important what is happening here but like for us to just turn up and kind of um, watch or get involved just seemed like a uh, it seemed like a bit of an an intimate moment for you know for the kids who for whom it probably was their main meal of the day to kind of invade on that a little bit and so I don't know it's one of the things I'd like to find a better way to to do in, in future for sure. What would that look like for you? Good question I'd want to do something in, in the build-up to it that really had the the young guys think about poverty and think about food and how we consume it and how much we overconsume it, and I'm as guilty of that as the next person. Um, I'd want them to have a, a really a think about that. One thing we've always done is have a sort of meeting at night, at each day a kind of debrief, and and th those are powerful times. And I, I remember after the, certainly after the first time we went, where it was the first time for the adults to see the feeding program in, in action as well. That was probably one of the most powerful because I think that it it really brought home to people how important you know, food is and how important things like these feeding programs and Mary's Meals and whatnot are to kind of get them to process how they'd, how they dealt with that was important. So it's about finding something that's equally meaningful to do, I think, beforehand to mm. 
think how they how they and how the people that you know the kids who are actually queuing up for food would want to experience having people see that from the outside and actually if those kids said we don't really want that it's it's an invasion that's you know then i'd i want i'd want to respect that and find another way of of doing it or you know finding out about these kids experiences in a different way the only time that i really felt uncomfortable in malawi was when we were eating lunch at the school and the kids watching us eat and knowing that we couldn't give them any food that was very hard to get over for everyone because they, they don't have anything to eat and we we had a meal every day three times a day and we can't give anything to anyone they well, say you weren't allowed or did they just yeah because just... all then all the all the kids would come around and ask for food and we just didn't have enough to give to everyone hmm. i think another time as well where i felt a bit uh more of a privileged sense was when we're in the when we're in the big school one day and we were supposed to show them like photos of like us back home and uh, like what we get up to and all the rest of that sort of stuff. And we're showing them photos of like where we're from, our houses, you know, our families and that. And just they were so astounded by just what we had. It really kind of that hit quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So the moment that really sticks for me, I think, is the last day of the primary school we were working on it was just like a it was the last day of our building and painting it was a, quite a, a bit of a celebration really we played football with the teachers and we had a meal with all the teachers the the staff and the the chiefs of the villages nearby which was a which was a great way to end it all and then just seeing like the appreciation of the kids at the end as well you know thankful they were of all our work that really sticks to me i think that's cool. Who won the football match? Yeah. Us, eventually. It's a tight game. Very tight game. Obviously, on a personal level, uh, I think it affects all choices I make in life, so I can carry that forward. Okay. I'm Hazel. I'm Timzy. And you're listening to the People to People podcast. Delving deep into the unique partnership between Scotland, where I'm from, and Malawi, where I'm from, This episode is all about privilege. Finally today, we wanted to share a conversation that you had, Chimsy, with Scottish-based Malawian musician Davy Luhanga, aka Street Rat. And you have met each other before, I think, at the Scotland and Malawi Partnership Annual General Meeting. Yeah, that's right. Uh, That was the first time that I ever met Davy, and it was a very lovely experience. I want to talk about the 2019 uh, SMP AGM because I met you there and I also met you with Lazarus and Brave. You guys did an incredible job at entertaining the guests. I remember before I walked to introduce Lazarus, looking at everyone in the crowd and like, I love Scotland. This has been my home since 2015, but my home is also Malawi. And I remember standing in front of everyone and I felt like these two worlds that I absolutely adore had mm. come together yeah. to create this tiny little bubble. And I remember just thinking, this is something that I want to stand for and want to be a part of. It's people from two different worlds coming together and being, hey, we should be friends, regardless of our differences. And I remember going, 
having this overwhelming feeling. I think also because it was my first time being in a room with so many Malawians mm. in Scotland. I was like, oh, wow, this is absolutely amazing. I spoke yeah. so much Chichewa, Tumbuka yeah. that day. I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but what, what was that feeling for you or like the relationship between Scotland and Malawi that you're a part of? Yeah, the, the feeling the feeling was good. The feeling was good. You know, the relationship between uh, Scotland and Malawi is something is something very good. Something very great that uh, everyone should be should be recommending it. Because the foundation of this relationship from the past, from David Livingstone, the voyages of David Livingstone when he went down to Malawi, bringing these two nations together is uh, is is something very important sharing ideas and, and, and knowledge that, that is being shared between these two nations and all the helps that Scottish people gives to Malawi as well. It's a balanced uh, relationship. It's really amazing how many people enthused us about this amazing friendship between Scotland and Malawi, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And now for a lot of people, the conversation about privilege really surfaced around the Black Lives Matter movement, and it's all connected into that. And we want to recognise that the Black Lives Matter movement is about much more than just privilege. The conversation about privilege is just a small part of something really enormous here. Yeah, and for me, for us, it felt really important to include the conversation that I'd had with Davy Lohanga around the Black Lives Matter movement, especially the protests that happened here in Edinburgh. Okay, let's talk about, uh, about Black Lives Matter. Okay. Did you go to the protests on Hol- in Hollywood Park? I went up onto the upper seat close enough just to see what was happening around. Yeah, so I would say that. <laughs> yeah. No, I went, I was like two seconds away from the front. And okay. I remember getting goosebumps the entire time I was there because I went with my sister and I thought to myself, oh, there's not really going to be a lot of people there. Um, mm. It's probably going to be like a hundred people and then that will be it. We'll be there for about... 45 minutes and then we're going to go back home i remember reaching the parliament and going where did all these people come from i was so lost for words have we lost that energy that we had on that day yeah yeah i think i I think so i think uh i think that energy we had we had on that day was really really phenomenal and uh, so yeah, yeah, I would agree on that. That uh, that energy gets lost easily. What changes have been made since people were shouting "Black Lives Matter" to where they are now? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because uh, we haven't seen much that uh, we can tell that uh, this is what has happened. Uh, this is how much the mindsets of uh, of the people of people in society have changed after all that process, after all those that, those incidents that happened in America. You know, it's hidden, but it's there, it's happening. People are facing all these problems, racial problems, because they are black and they can do this, they can do that. We have to teach, to teach the children good from the roots. Teach them how to live good with other people. Teach them that all lives are important. All lives are the same. We all bleed red blood. No, no matter you, you, you're white. No matter you, you're Asian. We all bleed. The only difference is the color, and the this color is not because we chose to be black or you chose to be white. This is creation. This is how we came out. You know. And when I listened to this next part of the conversation, it was a moment for me to check my white privilege and 
white ignorance. I had not appreciated that school children in Malawi are taught in English all the time. Like they don't just have English lessons. Like I learned German in school. All the subjects are taught in English. And we decided to use the privilege that we have to make and share this podcast to air a conversation about that. Yeah. I have listened to your album, uh, mm. Born in the Ghetto. I thought yeah. it was really good. I oh, think my favorite song was yeah. speaking my language. But I want Ooh. you to explain to me why why you wrote that song. Because if you speak to me in English, I may not understand, but so speak to me in my language. I, I'm just really interested in those lyrics. It's really nice that you like that song. For me, it's a very important song. I'm really trying to explain in that song what kind of message I'm really trying to to pass to the to the audience here, to pass to the to the society. Growing up in Malawi, you know yourself. You grew up in Malawi. But the first thing you go to school, you start learning everything in English. From standard one, you're learning everything in English, which is not your mother tongue. It's not your yeah. your language. You go back home, you're speaking other languages, Chichewa, uh, Tumbuka, Yao, whatever. You know, it was a big challenge for me. Like, because uh, if you don't understand English, even though you're good on the other the other subject, you're not looked at as a as a as a person who's doing well on on your education. You know, we are bandus. We have got our own languages. We have got our different mother tongues, and we have got our way our own way of living. We are totally different. Maybe if we were to learn things in our own language we would understand, we would be able to understand things fully. For example, our, our neighbors, Tanzania, they learn things in their own languages. And I feel like they understand things much better than we. No, I went to school in the North yeah. where you're meant to speak Tumbuka. No one spoke Tumbuka. Everyone spoke Chichewa. Mm. Or actually, we were encouraged to speak English more. So like if you if you were found speaking Chichewa or Tumbuka, you would get a punishment. Which which was not right. Because that, that that's that's another very good question. We can use Chichewa as a national language, learning everything like a mathematics, biology, all the science subjects in our language from standard one. And then also in our what do they call it? Uh institutions. In our institutions like uh, like like courts. Yeah, banks, all these places, they have to start using our languages. The yeah? parliament, you know, even I've seen people like a, like, like a proper ministers struggling to speak in the parliament, struggling to, to get to the point in a clear way that people can understand because they're using English. They're forcing themselves into English. But if you let them speak in their language, you find out to explain things better that everyone can understand what exactly they're trying to, t- to talk about, what message they're trying to deliver. People have, need to have a choice. Okay, I, I, want, I, want to choose, I want to learn English. Not to be forced to learn English because they have no choice. You know, because in that way, it feels like we are still slaves. We're still working for a white man. White man is, is still putting us in chains, you know. We are, of course, going to let Davy Lohanga play us out today with his song, Speak My Language, from his album, Born in the Ghetto, which is available on Bandcamp. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to have a think about someone you know who would enjoy this podcast. Go on. What, right now? Yeah, everyone do it. Who are you thinking of, Jimsy? 
Ooh, I'm going to send it to all my pals. All five of Great. them. Uh, you can do that? Yeah, I, I can do that. I'll send it to one group chat where there's over five people. So there you go. That'd be amazing. We want to include as many people as possible in this conversation. We do. And uh, please join us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Email us at people2peoplepod at gmail.com. Before we go, I'd just like to thank Muti Chlema, Deliso Chaponda, James Joshua Cameron and Fraser Boyd from the 25th Sterling Dunblane Boys Brigade Company, and Davy Luhanga, who you heard in this episode, which was produced and presented by me, Hazel Darwin Clements, and by Chimsey Dory, and was supported by the Scotland Malawi Partnership. Speaking my language so that I If you were to just be everything my long